Well, I'm glad we're in the school. We, uh, we made this decision a, a while ago after Christmas that we didn't believe uh, we'd have to have probably five services over at our church building uh, to make this happen. And so I think it was a good decision. It's a little warm in here probably. I sweat when it's 20 degrees out, so I'm not a good guide on how that works. But, um, but I am so excited about what God's doing in our lives, aren't you? And I'm excited of what he's going to do today, uh, hopefully through this service, through this message. And um, I do want to let you know, um, we, we are in the process of working out the plans and all the procedures to add on to our building uh, because we believe God wants to reach more people. It's not if God wants to reach more people, it's that he does. It's if we want to partner with him in that. Amen? And so I believe we do. Amen? Okay. Maybe getting up early for Easter got you all kind of down and out. So I've been telling you for weeks that uh, we were going to collect an offering today. And listen, if you're, if you're visiting here today, keep your wallet in your pocket. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't want you to come this morning to give an offering uh, for this building. But if you're, if you're a part of Hedgesville Church on a regular basis... Uh, we've been talking about this, about uh, a far and wide offering, and we just believe that the gospel should go far and wide, that everybody should have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And we believe that with our finances, we believe that with our lifestyle, we believe in missions, we believe in, in us going on missions trips, we believe that everybody should have an opportunity to hear the gospel, In the reality of today, they don't. The reality of today, that the, the neighbor you live beside might not have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and that he resurrected and that we're celebrating that no one comes to the father but by him and he's the name above all names the king above all kings amen and so as a church we are we are pushing as hard as we can to make sure that message gets out as far and wide as he will give us the strength to do and he said to the to the apostles he said I will give you power to be a witness amen in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I believe that that same promise is true today, that he will empower us. Little town of Hedgesville. You can make that your new Christmas carol. Little town of Hedgesville. I believe the gospel should go forward from here, not stay here. Amen? This should be a launching point. And so, at the end of our service, what you're going to do, is uh, when you walk out, again, if you're not a part of Hedgesville Church, you came here the first time this morning, uh, don't, don't feel obligated in any way. The last thing I want to happen is for somebody to leave this morning and say, we went to Easter service and all they wanted was my money. That's not true. Uh, so there's just going to be buckets out there. We're not even going to collect it. But if you prepared this morning to bring an offering or drop your pledge card in about, what you're gonna, about how you're going to play a part, in this uh, building campaign, then we encourage you to do that today. And so just as you leave, there'll be some buckets out there with some smiling faces. No mean faces today. Are you glad to be here? Thank you. Front row's got my back. Listen, I, I would be, um, I would be, woefully inadequate if I didn't thank all the people that made this happen over here 
There were people that stayed here for about 12 hours yesterday making all this happen uh, to, for us to be able to have church service here. And so I want to appreciate them, all the people that came and set up, all the people that made things and decorated. There's a ton of people back this hallway. If you checked your kids in today, I hope you, I hope you uh, saw all the people that were involved in doing that. And we just wanted to provide a great space even in the school. Uh, the school is a good space for your kid, right? <laughs> uh, so I just appreciate them. They're hard workers. And uh, just all the people that were involved to make this happen. I get to stand on stage and have the light shine in my face. But often, many of them you won't see. And they were outside shaking hands, parking cars, and shuttling volunteers and doing all kinds of things. And so I just really appreciate it. And the gospel goes forward because of you. That's why it goes forward. It doesn't go forward because we get together on a Sunday morning, although that helps. It, gets forward, it goes forward because of you and what God is doing in and through your life on Monday through Saturday. Amen? And so, uh, so I just appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to what he will do in and through your life even more and more. Jesus said, you will do greater things because I go to the Father. Because he was resurrected and goes to the Father, then he is equipping us to do great things. Amen? So we're looking forward to how it will play out. All right. Now, if you're not used to our church, we stand up when we read the word. Is that okay? Okay, if you're okay with that, go ahead and stand up. If not, be fine with that too. Our sermon series the last couple weeks has been called This is a True Story. Have you enjoyed it? Amen. Four people. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. I think it'll be up on the screen behind me. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Aren't you glad the way John describes this? There was Peter, and then there was a guy Jesus loved. You ever felt like that? They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So, I've told you for the last couple weeks that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all coming at this resurrection from different angles. They they experienced it in different ways, each one of them. And so you're you're getting a snapshot of each of their takes on how all this happened. So when you put them all together, you start to get the full picture. And it was a chaotic morning. Because, because we've talked about over the last couple of weeks about, about how Mary Magdalene and a couple of women get to the tomb and Jesus is gone. His body is not there. They don't know what happened. Mary Magdalene runs back to tell Peter and John, the one Jesus loved. And... And she doesn't realize at this point that Jesus is resurrected. She just thinks something's happened. She's not sure what has happened. And the other women stay there long enough to, to know that, that an angel meets them and, they, and, they, and, they, and they're, they're given the word that Jesus hasn't been stolen, but he's been resurrected, that he's alive. And so it, then, then there's this back and forth. There's people running to the tomb. There's people running away from the tomb. It's a chaotic morning. And so, so when Peter gets the news the first time, he's hearing that Jesus just isn't there. When the other disciples hear it for the first time, they hear that he's been resurrected. I want you to remember that. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outrun Peter and reached the tomb first. I've read that a bunch of times, 
And I just asked, I don't even know why John put that in there. Because he just wanted to make sure everybody knew he was faster than Peter. (laughs) By the way, I can run faster than the guy you think's famous. Peter, the guy that everybody likes, Jesus loved me more, and I can run faster than him. So you didn't even see that when you were reading it, did you? John got there first. Maybe it's because Peter was a little older and he was down in the back. I don't know. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as a cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, again, he mentions it, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. It has a power to transform our lives every time we look into it. It has an infinite ability to affect us. And we pray of all mornings, Lord, on Resurrection Sunday, that our ears would be open, our hearts would be open, that we'd be able to hear from you, see you this morning. God, that your presence would affect us in a way that would transform our lives forever. It would change our destiny from this day forward. Let your power reign in us today, God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Turn around and tell somebody it's a true story. It's still a true story. It's still a true story. So we've already talked about how the women were taking spices on the way that morning and how how oftentimes we're preparing for a funeral where, where God wants to do a resurrection. Isn't that true? Oftentimes when things go wrong in our lives, we're ready, to, we're ready to put things down. We're ready to do a funeral where God has already planned to do a resurrection. And we see that in the first, in the first set of women going to the tomb. They're carrying spice. They're carrying a load that they don't need to carry because, because they don't even realize that Jesus has already resurrected. He's already working out for your good. The Bible says that he already knows your need before you even ask of it. That he already knows, he's already working out for your good before you even can fathom that he knows about it. Before you even have a need, he's already worked it out. Come on, isn't that good? That should lighten our load a little bit, shouldn't it? It should lighten the idea of life a little bit. Lord, before I got into this mess, you had already made a way where there seemed to be no way. You had already worked it out before I even got here. Amen? We talked about recency bias last week and fear keeping us from believing. The most recent thing that's happened in our lives being something tragic. And so we, so we tend to make that the basis for all of our decisions. We, we forget that God has been faithful, right? Faithful, faithful, faithful. But when all hell breaks loose, that's the only thing we remember. And how, and how even in the midst of the storm, even in the, in the chaos, even when it's crazy, that God keeps his promises. That we don't have to be affected by the most recent circumstance. We talked last week again by, even though it sounds like nonsense. It's true, isn't it? Even though our story at times sounds crazy. Why would you ever believe God after that happened? After the tragedy that has struck your life, why would you ever believe God? That's what people ask themselves. How can they still have faith after that? It sounds like nonsense, doesn't it? 
It sounds like total nonsense. And what happened was when the women went back to the other disciples, they had, they had seen the two angels. They had seen Jesus' body gone. They had seen the, the linen cloth all, all placed where it, it was still there, where, where Jesus had just gotten out from under it. And the, and the, and the head wrapping was, was folded up right there where, where his head would have been. And they went back and said, listen, this is the truth. And the disciples went, sounds like nonsense. So just because it sounds like nonsense doesn't mean it's not true, right? So today, today I want to kind of focus on Peter a little bit. Because I think if you're like me, you've got a lot of reasons not to go to the tomb today. If you're like me, you've got a whole history of reasons not to feel like you're worthy to go find out what's going on. You see, Mary Magdalene... When she saw that Jesus' body was gone, she ran back to the tomb, or ran back to Peter, who we believe was probably in a different spot than than the rest of the disciples. Him and John were separated from the other guys for whatever reason. So she instantly runs back to Peter and she says, listen, I don't know what's going on, but his body's not there anymore. I have no idea what has happened, but his body is gone And I'm not sure what, I I don't know if they took him. I don't know what, could you imagine her frantically running back to Peter and saying, they've took him. I don't know what's happened. I don't know, I, I, I don't know how this could happen. I want you to think about Peter's response to what she said. She runs back and tells Peter that his body's gone. And the first thing that Peter thinks about doing is running to the tomb. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at that stuff. When I, when I show up on an accident scene, I'm of no use. Some of you are paramedics and really good with stuff like that. When I show up to an accident scene, I call 911 and I look in the window and they go, is everybody okay? I go, I don't know. There's still people in the car. I'm just looking in the window, man. You want me to open the door? I don't even know what I'm doing. Trust me. It'll be worse when you get here if I mess with them then it will be if I just let him sit there. True story, I've done that before. I'm not proud of it. I'm just telling you what I do. I get freaked out. There's a woman in a, in a, in a rear end collision in front of me uh, on Route 9 one day, and I, I thought, oh, no. I got all nervous. I was like, what am I going to do? So I pull over on the side of the road, and I thought the guy in front of her was going to pull off. Now, that I can handle because I thought, I'm going to Superman this guy. Like, he can't pull off. He can't run away. So he pulled off and he started. And I jumped out of my car. But somebody injured, I can't do it. So I call 911 and I'm like, hey, there's somebody in a car accident right in front of me. They pulled off the side of the road. And they said, is she all right? So I look in and I'm like, hey, are you all right? I don't know what else to do. So... I don't know if my knee-jerk reaction would have been to run to the tomb to find out. I might have been a little overwhelmed. I might have been a little, little scared to, to actually face a reality that I wouldn't like. I, I, might have, I might have waited a little bit. I might have thought John's faster than me anyway. We'll let him find out. He, he's always bragging about being fast, you know. Peter runs to the tomb. And if you don't know anything about Peter, you don't realize why this is such a big deal. See, this is resurrection morning. But just, just three days before that, it was a totally different deal. You see, there's a, 
Jesus had the thing we, we call the Last Supper, where he got all the disciples together and he was in the upper room and, and he, was, he was having the Last Supper and he told Peter specifically, he said, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Now, have you ever been in a situation where when you're at work and your boss sits you down and you're sitting in the office and your boss goes, listen, before the end of the day, you're going to suck really bad. And you're like, I'm your best employee. It's like, I know, but you're going to be terrible by the end of the day. I'm just, I can see it coming. It's going to be an awful day for you. I would just go home. I was like, yeah, I got like three personal days. I'm taking one today. Jesus is sitting in front of the disciples and he tells Peter, listen, listen, by the, by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me. Now, could you imagine having the guy that you looked up to, that you had dedicated your life to, that, that just three years before had looked at you on the seashore and said, listen, you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. You can drop everything, the most successful day of your life. You can, you can just put it aside and drop it and come follow me and, I, and I'll give you a life you never could have imagined. And now just a couple years later, he's sitting in front of him and, and Jesus is looking him dead in the eyes and saying, listen, Peter, I've prayed for you. I prayed for you that, that Satan wouldn't overcome you. I've prayed for you. Listen, he actually says it like this in Luke 23. Uh, chapter 23 starting verse 31 he says Simon Simon Satan has asked to sift you as we let me tell you something if you're unaware of it Satan has asked to sift all of you the Bible says that his objective in life is to steal kill and destroy and you're in that category the, the crosshairs are on you. But isn't it awesome to know that Jesus is ever making intercessions for us? The Bible says that he's resurrected, that he's at the right hand of the Father, and there's not a second that goes by that he's not thinking about you and what you're walking through and what you're dealing with, and he knows the schemes of the devil, and he says, listen, there's not a second that goes by that I'm not going to be for them and with them and praying and interceding and moving on their behalf. And I thought you'd be a lot more excited about that. He's giving us a glimpse when he talks to Peter about what he's doing for us. Saying, Peter, listen, Satan has asked for you. But I prayed. Prayed for you, Peter. The same Jesus that raised from the dead is praying for you this morning. Whatever you walked in here with, whatever family situation, whatever addiction you walked in here with, you're not alone because the creator of all the universe, the one who, the one who John says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Nothing was created without him. Everything was created by him. That same God is every day making intercession. He's praying. He's, he's moving on your behalf every single second of every day. And he gives us a glimpse into, he says, Peter, Satan wants you. He wants all of you. But I prayed for you. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to slip up today. You're going to slip up today, Peter. Because you're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. Here's how he says it. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. pretty plain, isn't it? Can I also tell you something this morning? Jesus already knows your failure before you even do it. 
Come on, you thought you caught God off guard with that sin. You thought, you thought the other week caught him off guard. He was praying for you before you did it. He was praying before me before I sinned. Last week, when I, when I did that thing I shouldn't have done, come on. Paul said it like this. He said, all the things that I wish I would do, I don't do. And all the things I wish I didn't do, I do do. Don't, you're not supposed to say do do. But I do anyway. He says, listen, there's a struggle with this flesh thing in me and I, 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 I can't get over it. I'm trying to kill the flesh every day. I'm trying to push it down every day. I'm trying to get rid of this thing, but I still struggle with it. I still struggle with it. I still struggle with it. And Jesus is looking Peter in the face and saying, listen, this is what's going to happen. But I'm praying that you'll have faith. I'm praying that you'll have faith. So he already knows your sin before you even commit it and that he loves us anyway. Come on, ladies, if you knew the, the sin of your husband before he did it, you'd, you'd have ran before you got married. Amen? Come on, I'd have run with you. I'd have been like, come on, get out, get out. If you'd have been sitting in my office, I said, you know he's capable, get out, right? Jesus said, I'm praying for you, Peter. I know this is going to happen, I'm praying for you. Now watch this, this is one of the most encouraging things in Scripture. Watch this. He says... But when, but when you come back, strengthen everyone else. Do you see the cycle? Jesus looks at Peter at the Last Supper and he says, listen, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. I already know Peter's like, man, I'll never deny you. Trust me on this. Trust me on this. I'm, I'm kind of God. I know that this is going to happen. Just like I know I'm going to die and resurrect. I know this is going to happen, Peter. And, I, and, and you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. See, this was in the evening. And so the third day started the evening. That's the way Jewish days work. They started in the evening. That's why on the Sabbath you couldn't do anything after dark. Until the dark of the next day. So it started in the evening. So Jesus said, before the rooster crows this coming morning, you will have denied me. He's talking about in hours. But he says, when you return, when you come back, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't be shaken. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. That should be one of the most encouraging things to you. Because Jesus didn't look at Peter and say, hey, Peter, listen, you're going to fail me today. And after you fail me, I don't need you anymore. See, that's the way we do it in our relationships, right? You failed me so bad. You denied you even knew me, so I don't need you anymore. But Jesus says, that's not the case, Peter. He says, listen, even though you're going to deny me today, I've already prayed for you that your faith will be strengthened. And when you return, not if, not maybe someday, but he says, when you return, strengthen your brothers. God is looking at you this morning and saying it's time to return. Amen? He's saying, I already knew what you were capable of when I saved you. I already knew what you were capable of when I called you to me. I already knew that you would sin, and I've forgiven you. I prayed that you'd be strengthened. And so return, because I've got something for you to do. Come on, return to me. I've got something for you to do. So now Peter running to the tomb looks different, right? So now literally... Less than 72 hours before, Peter had done the very exact thing that Jesus said he would do. He denied him. Luke chapter 22, 
Skip down to verse 54. It says, and they seized him and led him away, talking about Jesus, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when he had had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, man, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I I don't know him. You see, the the first time is just like, I can justify the first time, right? I can kind of justify it. He says, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, I don't know what you've been talking about. Other other gospel writers said he cursed. Now, I don't know if he was saying a cuss word or called down curses or whatever it was. It's more exciting when he cusses, right? More believable. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you have denied me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now listen, this is an amazing picture that Luke paints here, that Peter denies Jesus three times, just like, just like Jesus had predicted, just hours before. And then there's this moment where they make eye contact, where he can see him, where he looks over after denying me, hears the rooster, and I believe in a knee-jerk reaction. He thinks back to what Jesus had said just hours before that. And he turns at Jesus, and Jesus is looking at him. Now, I don't believe it's a, it's a, it's a scoff. I believe it was looking at him through the, through the eyes of grace. I believe it was looking at him like, Peter, this is what I was telling you. This is why I was praying for you so hard, Peter. This is why I was, this is why I wanted to warn you. This is why I wanted you to keep your strength, Peter. This is why, because, because this is gonna be tough. This is not gonna be easy. So here's what happens though. Peter still gets up and runs to the tomb. I don't think I could have done it after that. I think I would have just been like, you know what, forget it. I, I don't, I don't want to even find out. I've done the worst thing that I could do. I, I promised him I wouldn't do that. I promised him that even to the death I would stay with him. And when it all came down to it, I didn't have enough courage. I didn't have enough faith. I didn't have enough strength. I just quit. So I think when, when, when Mary Magdalene came to me that's, that morning after Jesus had resurrected, I think when she came to me, I would have just been like, you know what, Mary? I don't have any more strength to run to a tomb. I, I'm just done with this. And this is what we do. We make up our own roadblocks, don't we? I hear people all the time say, man, you don't know what I've done. I don't. And to be honest with you, I don't want to know. I don't need to know. But he knew before you did it. And he was still praying for you. And he was still saying, man, if you'll return, I got something for you to do. But we set up our own own roadblocks. We say, "Well, well, things like this. Well, when I get my life together, I'll come back to God. 
Come on, you probably heard that. You might have said it. When I get everything together, I'll come back. When I get this relationship worked out, I'll come back. When I, when I get over this addiction, I'll come back. When I get over this problem in my life, I'll come back. When I get over this, all oh, this mess, this financial situation, I'll come back. But I just can't now. And here's the deal. The God of all the universe, who knew you were going to sin before you even did it, was praying for you. And he's saying, I want you to come back quicker than you do. I don't want you to wait anymore. I don't want you to put together this plan where you've got to do 18 things to think you made it right. That's where we feel good about ourselves, don't we? When we clean ourselves up and then we walk in front of God like we did something. Lord, you see the mess I made out of my life, but now I cleaned it up. And now I'm here acceptable to you. But the Bible is extremely clear about our righteousness, isn't it? It says it's not worth anything. It says you can put up all the good things you want to do and it still cannot get you into heaven. It still can't save you. It still can't redeem you. It still can't keep you from sinning. Ask my wife. I can go on long seasons of treating her the right way and think, man, I've got it down now. After 20 years, I know how to do this. And then in an instant, I don't know what comes over me. Man, can I get an amen? Anybody relate to that? I didn't say women clap. I said men. I think we've got it all together. Peter's confidence sitting in front of Jesus going, that'll never happen. Many of us have said that about our lives, right? We'll say, man, it'll never happen that way to me, only to wake up one day and find out, That's exactly what happened. Can I just lighten a load for you this morning? God is not waiting on you to get it together to save you. Because if that was his criteria, he would have never promised to do it at the beginning because he, he would have known that we couldn't have gotten it together. But God saw fit that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He said it's not any works of your own, lest any man should boast. But he said, it's a gift of God. It's free. It's grace. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called faith and Jesus alone through grace alone. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't get yourself dressed up enough to make it look like you should have it. You can't do enough good things to run to the tomb and make it, make the resurrection because you were a good person. No, he says, you bring your mess. And what I love about Peter is that even after all of that, even after Jesus saying, this is what's going to happen, and him going, not me, and then hours later it happening exactly the way Jesus said it, even after all that, you know what he does? You see, I can see John getting up and running because John didn't deny him. John actually had a special place in Jesus' heart. He told John to take care of his mother. John was at the, John was at the crucifixion. John, I could see John popping up and going, man, run to the tomb, see what's going on. Man, me and Jesus are like this. I got his mom at the house. But Peter, Peter's got every reason not to run. But what I love about Peter, he's got a short memory. Come on, some of you need to get a short memory. Because you're still avoiding God over things that happened 10 years ago. 
You're still avoiding God over things that happened five years ago and six months ago. And what you need to do is shorten that memory up a little bit and say, listen, I know it happened back then, but I got to get over it. I got to get over it at least enough to get to the tomb. I've got to get over this just enough to get to the tomb. And what I love about Peter is he didn't sit there and go, man, I've blown it. It's no use. No, he said, you said what? You said the body was gone? And I could see him just bolting out of the room, like shoving Mary out of the way. Get out. We got to go figure out what's going on. Because even in Peter's sin, Jesus was still his savior. Even in Peter's total chaos of his life, Jesus was still his savior. He said, I'm running to the tomb. I'm going to figure out what this is. I'm going to figure out what goes on. John meets him. John gets there before him. The Bible says that John goes to the tomb, but he doesn't go in. John's sitting there looking in. He's, you know, he's kind of, man, this is sketchy, man. I don't know if I want to go in a tomb. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm just busting a tomb. What if there's a dead body in there? So John kind of stands at the door where these doors aren't that big. So I can see Peter, man, just boloing him, running right over the top of him. Peter runs in, finds the cloth, finds a linen cloth. It's laying exactly like Jesus was under it. The Bible says that it's laying there right in the same spot, almost like, no, almost like nobody touched it, like there was a body still there. Like it's laying there, and then the head wrap is laying where Jesus' head would be. Can any of you say, what? What is going on? Peter's, boom, hits John, runs into the tomb, and he sees what he sees, and he's going, he's going how does that how does this add up? This doesn't look right. This looks like there's a dead body here, but there's not a dead body here. It doesn't look any like anybody stole it because if somebody's going to steal a body, why would they put this stuff back on it? Who does that? Who breaks into your house and steals everything that puts your sofa back in the right spot? Nobody does that. They don't fix your door after they kick it in, right? Man, that's the most polite thief I've ever seen. He even reset the alarm when he left. Nobody does that. Peter runs in and he's like, wait a second. It looks like there should be a body here, but there's not. And if somebody stole the body, they surely wouldn't have unwrapped the body. Because who wants to touch a dead body? So you leave everything on it so you don't have to touch it, right? No, everything is there. This means something is not right. This means something happened that's not usual. This means something, this means something bigger than us happened. This means, could it be? Could it be that he resurrected? Could it be that he's not here? And the Bible says that after Peter walked in, that John walked in behind him. Now it's safe for John. John's like, all right, Peter just busted in there. No boogeyman grabbed him so I could come in behind him, right? So John walks in behind him, sees the same thing. And the Bible says this, John saw it and believed. Do you hear that? John saw it and believed. Now listen, I want to wrap this up this way. If the band could come back up. Why don't you stand to your feet? I got some scars on my body. I think I was like 11 years old. We had a long gravel driveway and I was riding my bike as fast as I could ride it racing a dog. Don't you have one of those stories? I mean, I got like a knockoff Huffy bike. You know, we didn't have any money. It said like Puffy or something on the side of it. It wasn't even. 
And when I was growing up, Huffy was like the thing. So I'm riding this thing as fast as I can ride. That's also back in the day when my granddad used to spray motor oil on the driveway to keep the, uh, to keep the, the, the dust down. It's my amen for the 80s. So um, I'm riding this thing as fast as I can ride it. I'm just pedaling. It's got one speed, crisp speed, just as fast as I can ride. There's this dog running beside me. That dog jumped right out in front of me. Like he didn't know how to keep lanes in a race or something. Just jumped right, right up in front of me, and I ran over the dog. Don't say, oh, I hope that dog was dead. I'm like, he just jumped right out in front of me. So I went tumbling over this bike, and I, I still have a scar on my knee. It's funny, my kids will run up to me. They cut themselves. My son especially will run up to me. He's like, look at this scar. I'm like, you're a man now. A lot of scars. But I got this scar on my knee from where gravel went into it. I got a scar on my head where my brother threw a rock and hit me in the head and then claimed he didn't. Ran up to the house. Blood looked like an axe murder. It hit me in the head. Like blood running down the front of my head. And I run into my dad. My dad was disabled, couldn't drive. And he's just like, we're all going to die. And uh, he thought my brother had chopped half my head off. I got a couple scars. Cut myself yesterday doing something. Didn't even know I did it. I'm getting old and losing feeling or something. I got a couple scars in my life that aren't going to go away. They're on my body and they're going to stay there. And I don't know about you, but I'm not cute enough to go to like scar removal therapy or whatever it is. It's just what it is. It's scars that I got. The linen laying in the tomb hit me a different way this Easter. Because it resembled something that was once there, but it's not there anymore. It was evidence of something that was in the tomb, but that thing that bled on that linen, that thing that poured its body out on that linen was not in it anymore. But it was there for the disciples to walk in and see. It was there for the women when they came back. Jesus should have, could, have just, could have just gotten up and taken the linen with him, but he left it laying there. And I want to tell you this morning, there's some of you that walked in with scars. Some of those scars have kept you from running to the tomb. Some of my scars have kept me from running to him at times in my life. Because I see them. Because I got scars you don't know about. I got scars that I won't tell you. That's a fact. But I know they're there. I see them on a daily basis. But you know what I always think about? I think just because there was a linen laying there doesn't mean there was a body laying there anymore. The body was gone, but the evidence of the death was still there. Did you hear me? The body was gone, but the evidence of the death was still there. I want to speak life into you this morning. Just because you have scars that have built up over the years does not mean you're that person anymore. The same power that raised Christ from the dead can come in and quicken your mortal body. It can redeem your soul. It can transform your life, your destiny, your kid's life, your grandkid's life, your grandkid's grandkid's life, the kids that you don't even want to be around's life. It can transform everybody around you. But here's what it might not do. It might not take the scar away. Now, come on, lean in a second. Lean in a second. It might not take the scar away. 
because they don't want to take all the evidence away that Jesus has transformed your life. Don't want to just walk in like a pristine crystal and say, I've been like this from the beginning. I don't have any problems. No, no, no. The best testimony is this. There was once a body in here, but now there's only linen cloth. And the best testimony that you can take back to your family and to your work and to your kids is this scar hurt really bad. But at the end of the day, that's not who I am anymore. Jesus has resurrected me and my flesh is not. There is a scar here, but it's not the same. And we see Jesus do this. Jesus walks back to the disciples. He walks into the locked room and he looks at them and he says, don't be afraid. It's me. There's a guy named Thomas. Thomas wasn't there the first time. Thomas says, listen, I'm not going to believe it till I see the scars. I'm not going to believe it. And we call him Doubting Thomas. I don't think he's Doubting Thomas. I just think he wants proof. I'm getting ready to base my whole life on this thing. You see, what we want to do is we want to convince people without the proof. And the proof is, is your scar has been resurrected. That's the proof. So don't try to cover it up anymore. Wear it as a badge of honor. Because what Jesus did after the resurrection was he didn't resurrect with a totally new body without scars. He kept them. And he walked back in the locked door and he said, you want proof? Put your hand in my side. It still has a scar. Put, reach out. Here's my hand. It still has a scar. The proof is the scar is still there, but I'm different now. The proof is the scar remains, but I'm a different person. Amen. All right, bow your head. Close your eyes. Listen, here's your opportunity. Some of you got drug here this morning, and I'm fine with that. Some of you, some of you didn't want to come because the last thing you remember was doing something, doing something that doesn't honor God. That some of you, some of you walked in here with scars so deep you don't know what to do with them. Some of you walked in here with, with histories, with histories that you just don't know how to get over. I'm telling you that he will reach through that scar, that he will reach through that hurt, that he'll reach through that pain, and he'll lift your heart this morning. He'll redeem you. He'll set you free. He won't even blink an eye at it. All you have to do is lift it up to him. This is all my scars, all my burdens, all my heavy weights. This is all my sin, Lord. This is what I was thinking 30 seconds ago, God. I'm going to just give it to you. And the crazy thing about it is he'll take every one of them. He'll lift your burden this morning. All you have to do is surrender your life to him. That's it. He didn't ask you to do anything. He didn't ask you to, to be special. He just says, lift your burden to me. Accept me as the penalty for your sin, and I'll do the rest. So I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to do that? Is there anyone here that's willing to say, you know what? I'm sick of this scar defining my life. I want a resurrection story to define it. I want this scar to just be evidence of something that used to be. But I'm totally different this morning. Come on, would you shoot your hand up right now? If you're ready to surrender your life, your scars to him, come on, shoot your hand up right now. Come on, all across the building, people are raising their hands. Come on, don't wait. Let it be a sign that, that he's transforming your life today, that he's doing a special work in your life. Father, we thank you this morning. You're good. You're able to do it exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine, and you're doing it right now in our midst. I pray that you transform lives right now. Redeem us, save us, set us free. Break the addiction today, Lord. 
In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, give him honor and glory this morning.